Welcome back to Plastic Surgery Decoded, the podcast where we demystify plastic surgery and unpack it into relatable concepts. I'm your host, Dr. Regina Newhan, and in this episode, our topic is eyelid and brow rejuvenation. We'll talk about indications for treatment, the options, how the procedures are done, what to expect afterwards, and potential complications. Remember that this podcast reflects my experience and my opinion. It is not intended to give formal medical advice, but instead you can use it to gain insight whether you're actually considering a procedure or if you're just curious. So settle in for a listen and enjoy. Eyelid and brow. Now why would I put those two together? We'll talk about that in a little bit. First, let's consider the skin in those regions. Believe it or not, the eyelids have such thin skin that they heal faster than all other parts of the body. And any surgical scar there matures or reduces visibility over time much faster. In fact, I've noticed over the years that sutures or stitches that I've placed in an eyelid region can typically be removed after only five to seven days as opposed to the rest of the face, and certainly the rest of the body, which would usually take a little bit longer to heal depending upon the length of the incision. These other regions all have thicker skin, so it takes a little longer to heal. In general, the face has better blood supply than the skin of most of the rest of the body, which helps healing as well. So that's part of the reason sutures placed in the rest of the body usually need to be left in longer. Okay, back to eyelids and brow. These two areas are adjacent to each other, and what's happening with one can affect the other. Most complaints that people have about the appearance of both of these regions stem from the skin that stretches and droops over time. This happens naturally with age, but faster in some people as compared to others based on their genetics. By genetics, I mean the speed at which a person is genetically pre-programmed to lose elasticity from the skin. But of course, environmental factors play a part too, such as chronic sun exposure and a history of smoking. These both speed up the aging of our skin. So what can we do about the excess or droopy skin? Well, surgical tightening or removal of the excess is the most definitive thing to offer patients, and that's mainly what we're talking about today. Sure, there are less invasive options available, like laser or chemical peels, which will tighten a little bit, or Botox to produce the effect of a chemical brow lift, if you will, but these improvements are best for those who only need a small amount of correction and who don't mind more frequent maintenance treatments. Most often, the folks who are motivated to consult with a plastic surgeon about the issue are really in need of a more significant correction, achievable primarily through surgery. So what can be done? Well, let's first break up our discussion into upper eyelid and lower eyelid procedures because they can be fairly different. We'll start with upper eyelids. With time and age, the upper eyelid skin can start to stretch, gather, and even lop over with this extra fold sometimes touching the eyelashes if it gets bad enough. It may be difficult to apply makeup, and for both men and women, this excess heavy skin can lead to frequently being asked if they are tired. Sometimes that skin can droop so much that vision can be affected. By the way, that can be purely from the extra skin, or occasionally there is an additional phenomenon called ptosis playing a part. The word ptosis starts with a silent P, and it describes a problem with the actual lifting mechanics of the eyelid. Now, if true ptosis is present, it would need a separate or additional remedy. 
best to be formally evaluated by your physician regarding this. In general, for many people with heritage from Western civilizations, there tends to be a natural horizontal crease in the upper eyelid that is created when you open your eye. Of course, you can't see it when the eye is open because it is tucked in deeply. We can actually take advantage of that crease being there because it is a natural line and therefore it is a perfect place to hide an upper eyelid surgical scar. So during an eyelid lift, known as a blepharoplasty, we use this incision to remove a horizontal strip of excess skin and any underlying bulging fat pads, then stitch together the remaining skin edges to give a nice clean appearance to the area. This leaves a still natural appearing eyelid, but with tighter, lifted skin. But is that enough? Well, here is where we bring in the discussion of the brow. Sometimes the brow position may be contributing to the problem and needs treatment as well. If you think you may fall in the category of having too much or heavy upper eyelid skin, do this for me now if you can get in front of a mirror. First, look at the shape of your brow. Does it still have a graceful curve, if you had one when you were younger? Is the highest part of the brow sitting just outside of the halfway point of the width of your brow and somewhat above the brow bone, or has it flattened out? Now, caveat here, some people have always naturally had a flatter brow shape for their baseline. That's often true for men in particular. Okay, secondly, with your eye open and looking at the mirror straight on, not up to it or down to it, assess the distance between the upper eyelashes and the lower border of the eyebrow. Does this height distance seem short? If either of these are true, now do this. Raise your same side hand to the brow level, take your thumb to the outer edge of that brow, and your forefinger or your index finger to just above the middle of the brow, and very gently lift up towards the hairline just subtly, not dramatically, lift up and out towards the corner of the forehead rather than straight up. Does that make your eye area seem more open? If the answer is yes, then you may benefit from a brow lift at the time of your upper eyelid lift. And if you do end up needing it, a brow lift can actually reduce how much excess skin needs to be removed from the eyelid. On occasion, it may take the place of an upper eyelid lift. But if not, it can just be a nice addition for an improved outcome. Now, I've simplified that a fair amount, but in reality, it's the one-size-does-not-fit-all philosophy. Every person's anatomy is a little different. Sometimes the baseline skeletal structure of the face is such that it's not easy to assess the best brow position, especially by yourself. Here's where a formal assessment by a plastic surgeon can serve you well. Now, if you did need a brow lift, let's talk about how that is done. By the way, we will get to the lower eyelid in just a bit. Well, there are actually several different ways of approaching the brow lift, with the common goal being to elevate the brow position on the forehead. But again, we want this to be subtle and natural looking, not dramatic. You don't want to walk around every day with a surprised look on your face. In fact, in my practice, I usually told my patients that we want anyone they might encounter to be unaware the patient had actually had surgery. The best compliments after healing are things like, hey, you look so well-rested, or did you just get back from vacation? You look great. They can't quite put their finger on what is different. So back to how the brow lift is done. The brow is part of the forehead skin unit, 
and the goal is to release that skin unit from its deeper attachments enough to allow it to be stretched and repositioned a little higher. Then it heals in that new position. But usually you want to hide the scar as best as possible. So the classic way of doing this was to make an incision line across the border of the forehead at the scalp hairline, then loosen the attachments of the skin, gently pull up the skin towards the top of the head, essentially repositioning the brow and forehead unit a little higher, trim any excess skin, and stitch the incision closed. Now, that's a bit more invasive than some people want to be, so many innovative techniques have been developed over the years. These include shorter scar procedures, basically working through a smaller, more strategically placed incision, and also endoscopic techniques, which means working with instruments through very small incisions guided by an internal camera, kind of like a video game. Some surgeons may even attempt the brow lift right through the upper eyelid incision, working upwards to avoid additional scars. Again, consultation with a plastic surgeon will result in the best treatment plan based both on the patient's desires and the surgeon's skill set and comfort level. Well, can you have a brow lift without upper eyelid surgery? Of course. It's actually quite common. A patient may not need an eyelid lift yet, but may have a brow that has descended over time. Or they may just choose not to have the eyelid done because their main concern is the brow. Okay, now what about those lower eyelids? The need for lower eyelid rejuvenation does not always match that of the upper lids. While you can treat all four lids at the same time, I found upper eyelid surgery to be requested more commonly than lower. Most times, people complain about puffy bags under their eyes and again, always being mistaken for being tired. Well, this problem may be twofold. There may be excess skin that has developed over time from gradual loss of elasticity combined with external forces over the years like rubbing. But also, there may be prominent fat pads under the skin contributing to the puffy appearance. Those fat pads are the natural cushion around the eye globe or eyeball, but over time, the small supporting membrane that holds them in place can start to stretch and relax, allowing the fat pads to pooch out, or what we call herniate. And that can lead to a more noticeable tear trough line or depression seen next to the puffy area. So what can be done to help? Well, if you have a large amount of excess skin, it can be trimmed horizontally, hiding the scar right under the eyelashes, and actually looks pretty good. But that doesn't correct the fat pads or the tear trough problem. It used to be that surgeons always thought they needed to remove those fat pads to improve the look. But later wisdom has shown the benefit of repositioning the fat and preserving it so the patient can maintain a more youthful look and not seem too hollowed out. In some cases, fat is even transferred into the area from another spot in order to blend and camouflage the tear trough indentation. Filler can sometimes be used here as well, but typically it will not last as long as fat transfer. Yet, it should be noted that occasionally patients just have a problem with puffy fat pads and the overlying skin is only a minimal issue. In those cases, they don't really need an external skin incision to remove skin, so they could actually have the incision placed inside the lower eyelid to access the fat directly. That way the scar would never risk being visible. The stitches are soft and absorbable, so they don't need to be removed. It may sound strange, but it heals quite well and is more tolerable than you think. We've gone over some of the more common possibilities for surgical rejuvenation of the eyelids and the brow. Now let's talk about what to expect after these procedures. 
In general, they are considered outpatient procedures, which means you go in for your surgery, then come home the same day. Depending upon surgeon and patient preferences, you could be completely asleep or just numbed up and sedated. Either way, someone else would have to drive you home. The first night is always the most difficult, but is manageable. Cool compresses and lubricating eye ointment are very helpful. There will be some bruising and swelling, of course, but the worst is usually improved within one to two weeks. Some intermittent swelling throughout the day, however, can linger for a month or so. Final results are usually reliable by about three months. I think it's a good idea to curb major exercise for at least a couple, if not a few weeks. You could return to it before then, but the consequence may be worse than swelling or even bleeding if you exert yourself too soon. For the eyelids, sutures can be removed within five to seven days typically, depending upon healing. Scarring is usually minimal, and again it's because the skin is so thin here the scar typically matures quickly. For the brow, any incisions near the scalp will take a bit longer to be able to have sutures removed, maybe one to one and a half weeks. For both, the early immature scar can still be somewhat noticeable for a while, but over time it typically fades nicely. Your surgeon would give you scar care instructions to help minimize future scar visibility. Returning to work depends on whether a patient is okay with people knowing they had eyelid or brow surgery and how exertional the job is. Time off can range from one to two weeks or perhaps even a little bit more. But keep in mind, vision may be a bit blurry from any ointment being used in the eye daily for a while after eyelid surgery. Well, what about complications? Like any other procedure, there can always be complications, but luckily they're not very common. For eyelid surgery, the most serious would be bleeding behind the eye, called retrobulbar hematoma, which could even cause blindness from pressure on the optic nerve. But this is rarely seen these days, and great precautions are always taken to avoid it as best as possible. Some other complications can include infection, which is pretty rare in this part of the body, bleeding, injury to the eye surface called the cornea, scarring that can tether the eyelid contour, and asymmetry, though most of us really have some degree of asymmetry to begin with that we don't even realize until we look back at the before pictures. Brow lift complications can include some of those things as well as possible numbness or sensory motor nerve impairment, which is rarely permanent. But even if something unplanned happens, there is usually a solution for it. Plastic surgeons are pretty creative. We can almost always make something better. In all, eyelid and brow rejuvenation techniques have evolved over the years to provide some really nice, though subtle, changes for people who want them. As with all procedures aimed at changing the shape of part of the body, results are not static. The aging clock, of course, does not stop with surgery. It just gets reset. But hey, that's pretty nice in itself, don't you think? Well, that's our show for today. Hope you enjoyed it and learned something, too. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. Please share this podcast with someone else who might be interested. And while you're at it, check out the podcast website for related topics to explore. It's www.plasticsurgerydecoded.com. And as always, thank you for listening to Plastic Surgery Decoded.